Welcome back to Demand Gen Chat. I'm your host, Tara Robertson. Really excited to have everyone listening today and very excited to introduce our special guest for today. So I'm joined today by Sydney Waterfall. Sydney is the VP of Demand Generation at Refine Labs, a demand accelerator for B2B SaaS companies. Sydney, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. Big fan of the podcast. Listen to it. So I'm happy to be on it now. Great. And we're huge fans of everything content-wise that Refine Labs puts out. So really excited to have you. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your role at Refine Labs and what customers come to you for help with? Yeah. So Refine Labs, um, we help customers kind of get off the MQL hamster wheel and really deploy a demand gen strategy um, across their entire uh, go-to-market good market engine. So we work primarily with B2B SaaS customers um, anywhere from, you know, series B on up and really help them transform going from MQLs to qualified pipeline, which we call hero pipeline as their main KPI and ultimately driving um, quarter over quarter increase in hero pipeline and ultimately revenue. Um, And so we do that by following a lot of the tactics that you see Refine Labs uh, doing, but also deploying paid media and consulting on a wide variety of uh, high intent um, topics for uh, for our clients. So that's a little bit about Refine Labs and me specifically. Um, as a VP here, um, I manage some of our account teams. So that would be um, our directors and performance marketers that manage clients. I help them um, with strategy and I'm really focused on client strategy and making sure we're customizing our Refine Labs playbooks to the customer's business and looking at um, how we can drive long-term growth for our clients. Great. And I'm really interested in the pipeline piece specifically because we are huge believers in the not tracking vanity metrics, not focusing on MQLs, kind of that whole story. We're bought in on that um, at Chili Piper. But I'm curious if there's any other top of funnel metrics that you do recommend that customers look at. Yeah, definitely look at MQLs. We define an MQL as a high intent conversion. So that's going Mm -hmm. to be, you know, a demo request or your main conversion point someone coming to your website um, and asking to talk to someone from the company about your product. So normally it's a demo, it could be a pricing, contact us, you know, whatever you label it. Mm-hmm. That, that's the metric that we look at is how many of those are we getting per month by all, all channels. And then how are those converting throughout the pipeline? Um, so how many meetings are being booked? And then from that, how many, um, what we call a hero opportunity, which is a high intent revenue opportunity. Really what that means, as you know, every company (laughs) defines an opportunity and when they create Mm -hmm. an opportunity and stages differently. So we like to kind of streamline that as um, an opportunity that converts to revenue at uh, 25% or greater win rate. So, you know, one in four of those deals are going to close. So we have confidence in those closing. Um, so that's what mm-hmm. we call as a hero. A lot of people call SQO, have a bunch of different names for it. Uh, but we like to standardize that. And then, you know, a lot of the other metrics that we're, we're looking at, um, you know, are going to be, I would say, key indicators or things we monitor, but they're not main KPIs for our clients. And for that, we measure ourselves internally on success of how are we doing with this client. So, you know, we look at obviously our demo conversion rates. Uh, we're just monitoring and understanding site traffic. 
Uh, we don't really look at clicks from paid media. Uh, we have a very different uh, viewpoint on how to deploy paid media. We're going for consumption and engagement um, in the feed, which usually leads to less clicks directly off the platform, but more engagement education. So, um, and then obviously in other more captured demand channels, which would be, um, you know, your review sites or your paid search um, you know, we're, we're monitoring conversions in there because we're only optimizing and monitoring high intent conversions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And do you help your customers figure out what that hero opportunity looks like for them? Because the one in four close rate sounds great to me, but I'm sure it's a little tough to get there. Yeah, it's, it's uh, different for every client. It's actually a part of the work that we've been doing um, the last couple of months uh, with our clients is you know, for one client, opportunity create is meeting booked. For another client, opportunity create is like after the second demo and they've got pricing out, you know? So those two wow. things are going to convert <laughs> and have very different, um, different, everybody has their own sales cycle and, um, you know, partnership with sales of like, what, what is, when do AEs create opportunities and all that? So we actually look at all their opportunity data. We look at the stage history. We're looking at what at what stage for them does it hit that threshold? And then we say, boom, okay, for you, so like Chili Piper, your stage X um, is going to be, you know, maybe it's your stage three or your stage two. I would say, assuming a six stage, six stages in your, in your um, opportunity stage model, if you assume six or five to six, it's normally stage three that we find that mm -hmm. converts consistently um, to uh, 25%, um, to revenue. And that's specifically like demo requests as well. Like we're looking at that high intent pipeline and not necessarily like trade show leads or something like that. We're looking at a very specific, mm -hmm. um, section of that. Yeah. Just the hand raisers. Yeah. Just the hand raisers. Like, yeah. yeah. And like, what are those conversion rates? Great. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So kind of the opposite spectrum of hand raisers is um, just along the topic of dark social or dark funnel. Mm -hmm. People are calling it kind of both these days. But I'm really curious what from your perspective, how you tie kind of that data driven approach of knowing one in four of these types of ops can close to working with customers and getting them to do more on the dark social side of things, because those are obviously very different approaches, but you kind of need both to win in marketing today. So just curious how you approach that with a new customer. Yeah, I think the concept of uh, dark social is it's how buyers consume information on the internet and it cannot be tracked by, um, as you know, you guys do a lot of great dark social, this podcast, right? And I've seen your videos um, clipped and I've even seen them in ads. Uh, I've seen them just on organic. Um, I know that you guys are also very involved in communities, different Slack communities, things like that. All of that's dark social sharing information peer to peer um, that cannot be tracked. So a lot of the channels I just mentioned, but even word of mouth, um, even, you know, ad hoc meetups, like a lot of people just like go meet up. That's going to be, you know, a, a kind of a word of mouth channel. So now what really drives the high intent hand raisers, like learning about you, understanding your product and coming back to your website and knowing your brand, knowing the brand to even come, come to first is going to be, how do you educate people in those channels that they're in? 
And a lot of people don't because they can't track it. You know, they're like, well, we want the click or we want, we, we need to be on this channel and do this activity because I need to show success. So if you move your metrics of success and you're only looking at pipeline, you're allowed, you know, you're not handcuffed. You're allowed to, because you're not handcuffed to how many clicks you're driving to the website or how many uh, form fills you're getting from that campaign. You're then free to actually market and push out content where people are consuming it and then where it's shareable. Like think about Slack. Like how many times have I like sent, hey, this ad's really cool or this product's awesome or um, that's just how people share share these days. So when we move the metric for success and we kind of reframe the funnel for people, especially our clients, it they're more engaged to run programs like that. Um, and so we help consult on like, hey, you should be doing this and let's stand some of this up. And even though we're not actually executing on like their organic strategy or their, you know, event strategy or something, there's a lot of content we mm. can do that drives that. It's funny that you brought up word of mouth because I brought dark social up to a few marketer friends just kind of locally, just here and there. And a couple of them have said, well, isn't that just word of mouth? Like, what's the what's the big deal about dark social? And like from my perspective, at least, I think the difference is in B2B marketing, we pretended that we could track everything or we tried to track everything. And dark social is kind of us saying, you know what, we actually can't do that. So here's what we're going to call it and label it something new. But I'm curious if you ever run into that feedback from people that, hey, this isn't really anything new. It's just word of mouth. No, and I think that the difference is uh, the distribution. And like, mm -hmm. for example, I think dark social uh, fuels word of mouth. Like there's other things that are word of mouth. Like I listed, for example, like meeting up with a coworker or a peer mm -hmm. and talking about a solution. That's like pure word of mouth. That's not necessarily dark social. Dark social is having LinkedIn DM conversations. Like, how did I get on this podcast? Like, right. Like, Hey, do you want to come on this <laughs> podcast? I'm like, yeah, yeah sure. Um, you know, that's a dark social what's happening in social. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say, you know, even, you know, personal, posts that I post on social that people just view, but they don't like or engage with, but they're consuming that information. That's dark social. I'm mm -hmm. educating somebody about something who knows what I'm talking about. Depends on the day. Right. Probably, obviously something related to marketing uh, most times. But mm -hmm. so I would say that's the difference between dark social and just word of mouth. Word of mouth, there's other channels as mm -hmm. well and other avenues. Text message could be word of word of text maybe <laughs> word of yeah but don't start getting cold text but <laughs> yeah so I think mm -hmm. and, and if you're distributing video content people are reading or listening to it they're not clicking on it they're just scrolling that's mm -hmm. dark social you can't measure that you can't measure if that person came back to your website and converted right yeah we have we've tried to track some of this on slack like we'll just share screenshots but the most probably marketing to marketers example I could think of is <laughs> we have a great marketing channel on Slack. Pretty much every marketing team I've been on has had that where we just kind of have a place to dump like, oh, I saw this great ad. I saw yep. this great interaction online, just so the other channels are a little bit less crazy. But um, I got a screenshot from a friend of his great marketing channel and one of our blog posts was in it. 
So I shared that on our great marketing channel. And it's just like, there's no way we could possibly track that if that opportunity ever closed. But yeah. you're right. It's not word of mouth. It's something slightly different. And I think it's really cool that people are kind of putting a name on it and figuring out what we can do to drive even more of that. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you think about the funnel, right, we obviously at Refine Labs, we talk about creating demand, capturing demand, like dark funnels, even above create demand. It's like, how do you create mm-hmm. demand? You need to be in dark social to get people <laughs> into there, then to drive them into intent and um, drive them into more capture channels. Um, so that's kind of how I personally look at it. But yeah, we have a we have an ad labs channel um, where we share mm-hmm. really cool Fun. creative, cool ads, cool different things. Our whole creative team shares like all the all the creative we produce for our clients, just so everybody can see the great work that they do. So. Yeah, that's one of my favorite channels. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, I love to poke around on those channels. Sometimes I have to mute them so I can go check in later, but <laughs> it's great to stay up to date. Um, since you mentioned creative, I'm curious because we've been undergoing a bunch of CRO work on our website. And I'm curious if you've ever seen any customers or if you've done any work on kind of integrating any kind of dark social campaigns that you're running or just something specific that you're trying on offline channels, if there is any way to optimize that for conversion, or if it's just something that you have to say, you know what, this is just a totally different goal and we're not going to try to optimize that for conversion. Yeah. As your point about dark social, you can't optimize for uh, conversion because you're in the wrong intent mode. You're then Mm -hmm. just doing it to get something out of it and to make dark social and even just like content, um, and pushing your brand out there, creating demand, you have to come at it from an angle where you're not expecting a direct conversion or you're not even expecting something immediate. Like you just want people to consume it and, you know, possibly get like some qualitative feedback on it. Um, mm-hmm. But when it comes to like website specific, like we have, yep. um, we have, implemented a lot across a lot of our customers, the how did you hear about us? Uh, form field and that has really been able for us to understand like the impact of the channels that they're on that are Mm -hmm. dark (laughs) Um, and if those channels are resonating with people. Right and you guys call that self-reported attribution but I'm curious because we've started experimenting with that a little bit on our thank you pages so I was personally very worried about our form conversion, so I didn't want to put it on our demo form. So we have it after the fact if someone successfully gets through the flow, but we're getting very minimal details from people. So I wonder if it is because they've already gone through this whole flow that they're kind of sick of giving us their information. Um, But I'm curious, what type of information do you get on a a form like that or that your customers get? So I'm not surprised that you're getting minimal information on the thank you page. We've had probably four to five customers implement that the same way against our Mm -hmm. recommendation, which is fine, you know. Um, And then they later switch and just put it on the form. (laughs) So what we, you know, what we recommend um, is if you can just replace a field on your form. So Mm -hmm. we typically... You know, we don't tell our clients to go out there and just, you know, start changing your main conversion point and seeing what's happening, right? <laughs> it's bad advice. Right. We definitely like, we're like, okay, let's roll this out in A-B tests for like two or three weeks just to ensure we're not, you know, something is, you know, tanking the conversion rate. 
Um, all of my clients that have rolled it out, we roll it in a two to three week A-B test. Um, you know, you're not going to get stat sig, but you're not really looking for statistical significance. You're looking to make sure it doesn't really drop the conversion rate, a, a noticeable amount that you mm-hmm. might be uncomfortable with. Um, so phase one is always make it required, uh, free text. And if you can replace like job title, like, do you really need that right up front? You can probably get that, enrich that, use a, you know, data enrichment tool like Cognizant or something to enrich that. Um, or you can get that information, um, you know, when you, when you get the meeting books, you know, hopefully with Chili Piper. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so we've tested that out and we don't see any, any um, difference in conversion rates across a couple of different clients. We're actually hoping to publish hmm. some of that data soon because it's the number one objection we get. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear yeah. more about that because I'm personally getting pushback on that we have an open field for it. But yeah. for me, it's kind of if we give people a drop down, they'll pick either the first yeah. option or just whatever comes to mind first. So yeah, I really yeah. pushed back and said we need it to be open, but I'd love to see some of that data. I'm sure people listening would love to see that too. Yeah, so we, one of one of the first clients that ever implemented this, it was a pick list. Um, and, you know, we mapped that all the way to the opportunity and close one. And, you know, at least they were doing it. It's better than nothing. We right. could definitely right. see some really cool <laughs> trends. They had a podcast, right? They had all these things that they were doing and, um over like 28% of their closed one and over 35% of their uh, qualified opportunities said other. And it's like, Mm, still not helpful, (laughs) right? Right. And um, so they actually like tested it like, okay, well, what if we, you know, they're both required fields, one free text versus one pick list, didn't see a difference um, in the conversion rate. Obviously, I'm not going to tell you exactly what their conversion rates were, but uh, it was their data, right. but didn't see a d- noticeable difference in their conversion rates over the time we A-B tested it. And now hmm. they're getting much more um, enriched, insightful. Um, and these are not marketers. Like these, you know, I feel like marketers might be a little bit more, you know, give you more information because they're marketers too. But these are, yeah, we get both ends of the spectrum. (laughs) We get people that put one word and then like an essay from someone else. They're like, let me tell you my multi touch 17 step journey in this Mm -hmm. field right here. (laughs) (laughs) Great. How do we get Uh, everyone to do that, please? Yeah. You're like, how how do I do this? So, I mean, for one of our clients, we launched a new channel and they told us exactly where on that channel they saw the ad. It was wild. I was like, how do you Hmm. even remember that? some things where we get in and stuff that's not even related to even some of the work that we do with the client, but it's so helpful. So, um, hey, I heard it from this um, webinar. It wasn't even a sponsored webinar or anything. It was just something that their brand happened to get mentioned on. And now it's like, hey, let's go maybe explore like some partnerships mm-hmm. with that brand, because <laughs> if your audience is already there, like that's a win. Um podcasts come through referrals like hey I heard you from this customer or I heard you from this community you get like a lot more specific data rather Mm -hmm. than social media you're still going to get someone that says social media or web search right and so typically we we do we roll that out we let we gather data for about a month and then we do a month like an analysis for our customers we take all that data free text form 
and we kind of look at it and we start creating buckets for them based on what they are getting in their business, not necessarily like the exact buckets we recommend based on our business. So like if they don't have a podcast, they're probably not getting podcast submissions. They don't need a bucket for that, right? It's an example. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we say, okay, here's how we're going to, here's the larger seven buckets we're going to classify all these responses into. And then we create um, a field, um, you know, any marketing automation system can do it. We've helped customers with it. You create kind of like a category field or a bucketed field. <clears throat> and now every time that's automated, and it gets into a, a bucketed field. So now you have, you can put that in your CRM. You have reports, right? That's a little bit more manageable to read, like social media, mm-hmm. events, community, whatever. Um, but you still have that core qualitative data that's the most insightful um, that can lead to a lot more better business decisions. And I mean, I was talking to a CMO yesterday and they said, I know that I can't show direct attribution to that, but I'm okay with that because when I go to my CEO and my C-suite, like I'm telling them I'm hearing this from customers and I'm telling them I know this is working because I'm hearing it directly from them. And it just is like a little catch point in the whole journey. But if, you know, that's all you really need to justify that this this is working, um, and, and, you know, and they have an attribution software that costs, I don't even know how long that we still look at, but she knows. <laughs> Take it with the green. It doesn't salt. always match up. Yeah, that's, yeah. that was actually a good segue into my next topic. But I think that's a really great approach to getting buy-in on dark social, because that's one thing I've heard from a lot of people is I'm on board manager level, everyone gets it. But once we go up to our VP or our CMO, it's just a hard sell because they've really bought into our fancy automation tool or they really want us to buy a fancy automation tool. So bringing this self-reported data in there and showing them like, hey, there's some gaps here and maybe we can try to marry those. But I'm curious from your perspective, I know you had a similar post on LinkedIn about not overcomplicating attribution. So Mm -hmm. with this in mind of trying to layer on the self-reported plus the attribution you already have, how would you approach that knowing that there might be some hesitancy on the dark social side and we're trying to make a case for that. Yeah, everyone's going to have attribution software or solution, you know, all the automation systems that you have already have one. And then you might even have the another one to layer on top of it. That's totally fine. You, I think, just have to understand that there's stuff that you cannot track that no technology can track. There's no product gonna solve for it. And so you're like, okay, if you think about this logically, how do I understand what I can't track? How do I understand what's going on? Well, you could do that with the self-report attribution field. You could ask your customers on gone calls. You can um, ask them after they've been customers. Like you can literally just ask. So that's a touch point. Then you can understand, okay, of all the other things that I could track, how does that fit in? Um, and so that's kind of how I look at it. But when I simplify it, I mean... There's so many different attribution models that anyone can Mm -hmm. tweak any data to like make their department or their campaign like look good. It's actually pretty easy to do, honestly. Uh, If you know, if you don't want to play with first touch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could be in here making a visible touch point report and it could be any touch point ever in the entire life cycle contained content. Oh my God, our content is like, you know, 
blowing it off the charts for the revenue, right? Um, mm-hmm. This is an example. But when I say basic, it's the main touch point I think people need to be con- like focused on is the conversion source. Um, and when I say conversion source, it I don't care what touch it is. I don't care if it's the first touch or the 17th touch. All I care about is it's the hand raised touch. It's the, it's the point where they raise their hand and I want to know what happened there. Where did that come from? Um, and then I want to be able to track that, map that to the opportunity and down. That's the main thing I'm looking at when in what we look at with our clients. And of course, we're still looking at, okay, what's driving net new acquisition of first touch? Like how does their first touch compare? Do we see any t- trends uh, first touch for like all of these in this bucket? Do we see any other, you know, things that we could pull out of the data that we could, that could be useful? But I've seen so many wild attribution models and I am asking basic questions. I think that post, there's like three basic questions where I was like, if you can't answer these like very quickly, like you're overcomplicating it. Right. Um, And one of those questions was like, where are your demo requests coming from, for example, which hopefully... You have a report that shows you that that isn't too complicated. But if you don't, I think that's a great place to start, to your point. And then most most people or most companies can say, oh, how many, how many, con- or how many um, contacts did we get or, you know, leads, contacts, whatever you work out of. Um, mm-hmm. We got this many demo requests. That's their, their first touch. I'm like, yeah, but how, like how many form fills, how many total people filled out this form and they're like oh well they're they're a known contact so that would be like last campaign but that field like updates and like isn't locked so I'm like okay just let me get into the automation system I'm gonna see like how many people fill out this form this month yeah just <laughs> like, go like, into HubSpot or whatever yeah, <laughs> and just you know I don't right. again we don't care what touch it is um we want to mm-hmm. understand like how many people asked to talk to our sales team this month you can't answer mm-hmm. that. And then you can't answer how many of those went to meetings, how many of those went to qualify opportunities. That's a problem. Um, and I think it's just because like, and I'm guilty of it too. Like, I mean, I am a Marketo visible girl back from like 10 years ago, you know, like I mm-hmm. loved it. Even when visible was just starting, I was one of um a company that was one of their first customers. And I was like, I love this. This is amazing. But I just think over time, it's changed. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think in the meantime, since they came out, communities have just blown up. I mean, not that they didn't exist before, but to your point around Slack, I can't even tell you how many Slack communities I'm in. And half of the po- the posts are saying, what's a great attribution tool? What's a good tool for this? And that just didn't exist five, 10 years yeah. ago. People were following a little bit of a more linear buying journey versus just doing a lot of their own research. I think everything on the, or most, a lot of things on the internet were on your own domain, right? They were in your own website, your own domains mm-hmm. that you owned. So you get that data. Well, now how many ap- applications do you have on your iPhone, right? Like um, that don't serve ads. <laughs> yeah, like, you yeah. know, some of the applications obviously do serve ads, but um, how do you get information? You don't go to the company's website anymore. I'm just going to ask community or if I have a question about chili paper, I would have be like, Tara, LinkedIn or email, like, hey, here's my question. Can you answer it? Or someone I know that uses the product, right? 
Um, you're not going to go to the website. I mean, you might go eventually to the website when you're ready to convert um, or look at pricing or something, but more not in the discoverability phase anymore. I would say more when you're ready to actually like research your buying decision, um, almost like buyer enablement. <laughs> yeah, I think the difference now too is you know that when you do put up your hand and say, hey, I'm ready, you're not going to get a break. You're going to be hounded by someone who's trying to show you the tool. So you're going to do as much research as you can outside of their domain. Because when you're ready and you raise your hand, you know, like, okay, thousand, this is it. My schedule is going to be busy with demos now. So A thousand percent. And like, you know, it's kind of also on B2B created that environment. Like how many eBooks have you followed up? And then you got the email, you got the phone calls. Like everybody is, does not want that because they are not ready for that. So mm-hmm. Hence why, you know, I, I believe you shouldn't be getting your content anymore. <laughs> but um, that's a whole, you know. Yeah, whole other that's, that's another episode. <laughs> yeah, that's another fun topic, but a whole other episode. <laughs> um, one thing just really quickly is on the topic of just that touch before the demo request, we're actually shifting our model into what we're calling booking context. So instead of, what caused them to fill out any form on our website, which is a little bit of what we're doing now, which isn't perfect and doesn't give us great insights. We're really looking at what happened right before they booked that call. Yeah. Whether it was like the channel, the campaign source, just figuring out how granular we can get. And I think we'll hopefully have a lot of insights to share once we do roll that out. But I think that's a new approach that we've heard a couple other people thinking about too, where to your point, nobody needs to track 20, 20, 25 different touch points, but we need to know what caused them to raise their hand and what was that final thing that really moved the needle. So curious to see how that self-reported data will line up with what we're finding internally. I mean, between that and your self-reported attribution field, you're going to be, you guys are going to be killing it. (laughs) But yeah, that's like, yeah, that's the goal is to figure out what we can learn from and teach people. So Great. Yeah. Glad to hear. We have your <laughs> stamp of approval on that. That's important to me. Not that you need it, but sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Um, anything else on just the topic of multi-touch attribution? I feel like we covered it pretty. Yeah, thoroughly. I mean, you know, people think that like, I don't know, everybody at Refine Labs is like so against attribution. It's like, we're not. We just like need to have another way to capture dark social attribution. Mm-hmm. Um And I think like many things, marketers, myself included, are like not even attribution could be like campaign um, set up in your ad platforms. Like we love to just overcomplicate things. I think that's like been bred into us. So um, just simplify when you can. Uh, Simplify, 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 (laughs) I would say. I think that's great advice. And if if you're simplifying and also asking people what pushed them to book a demo and trying to do that again and again, I think... Yeah, you'll be set up for success. So that's great advice. (laughs) Cool. Well, before I let you go, I do have a couple quick fire questions for you, if you don't mind. So first one, is there another marketer you follow that our listeners should go follow and take advice from? I mean, I think Nick Nick Bennett is doing a great job um, talking about community and personal brand. He's got a community that's really cool. I mean, honestly, if you want to like know anything about TikTok, it's like a shameless plug for Todd. Uh, He works at Refined Labs, but the guy's like so talented at TikTok and like his strategy around it. 
it's wild. Um, I, I've already talked to him about trying to do TikTok. And it's just, it's on my list, but I have not made it a priority yet. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the two brand, first two that come to mind, but oh my yeah. gosh, there's so many. I feel like I could give you like an Excel sheet. <laughs> no, those are fun ones. That's good. It's good to have something fun <laughs> to follow up with. Um, and what's an under the radar, either channel or tactic that your team is really loving or seeing lots of success with right now? I don't know if it's like super under the radar, but video content, content specifically like podcast clips, um, mm-hmm. we've been putting like paid spend behind that and like getting those like guaranteed views. Um, and that's been working really well. There's some of our highest um, in- engagement, you know, from view rate and enga- video engagement rate um, with some of our clients. So it's really kind of helping to drive their, also their podcast acquisition strategy. Um mm-hmm you know, linking, linking straight to the podcast that you could listen to it. That one's a good one. And then, um, literally like today, uh, we just rolled out, uh, LinkedIn. You can now do story sizes on images on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So take up more of your, more of the feed. Um, and it's designed for like a mobile placement. Uh, but we've been taking some of our Facebook story creative for some of our clients and just rotating that into LinkedIn to see if we can get, um, more engagement off that placement um, because the Instagram story placement gets by far probably the the highest engagement off of the that placement of Facebook or Instagram, not not including video, but like a, a more static placement. Mm-hmm. So hmm. we're transferring that over to LinkedIn just to see um, just see how it goes, see if we can get more more of that feed taken up. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's a fun experiment. I haven't touched LinkedIn stories yet on paid, so I'll have to check that out. That's yeah, it's not one. on the LinkedIn stories, um, not like the sponsored ones, but you can mm-hmm. take, um, of course, I'm forgetting the actual image size, but it's the same size as a, as but it's the bigger, it's the size. bigger, it's the mobile, the mobile version. And, mm-hmm. um, you put that in, um, and it'll get served on mobile for LinkedIn. So it literally takes up mm-hmm. the entire phone when you're scrolling. Um, so we're just testing wow. that against the against the vertical like square size, the 1080 by uh, 1080 size. Great. That's a good tip. And lastly, where can our audience go to find out more about you or follow your content? What channel are you most active on? I mean, no surprise here, LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the number one follow, answer so far. Yeah, the <laughs> waterfall on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there, and um, maybe one day I'll be on TikTok. That's a that's a goal we'll for be myself. Waiting. I'm saying it on this podcast, so I will actually have to do it because people will call me out now. <laughs> Great, we'll keep an eye out for that. Thank you awesome. so much, Sydney. Thanks a lot for your time. And thanks everybody for listening today. Hope you can join us on the next episode of Demand Gen Chat.